Now listen again to these wonderful words that have been read a few times now this morning. Do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. Striking that out of the mouths of angels in Scripture and in history, these are the first words. Do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed. spoken into a world where there is always fear. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus is alive and offers to all humanity indiscriminately open-handedly, hope in the face of death. Jesus was raised from the dead, and to all who look to him for their salvation, there is new life in Jesus now, and the promise of resurrection to everlasting life in a new creation. Everlasting life in a world where there is no more death or crying or pain. The last book of the Bible describes that new world in this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, or look, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And that is a message worth hearing in the world this Easter day. Hope for individuals that there is resurrection from the dead to everlasting life. In a world where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain, that is the promise of the risen Jesus that I am called and privileged to proclaim this Easter day. That is the promise of the risen Jesus that Christians across the world are called to and privileged to proclaim this Easter day, to invite people to join Easter services, to invite people to read a gospel book with them, to tell people they are praying for them. And as restrictions are lifted, whenever that may be, to speak to people about Jesus and his promises with a renewed urgency That is the message of the risen Jesus to the world this Easter day, glorious hope for humanity. But it is a message that is to be proclaimed, to be spoken in a world where death is ever-present, where there is mourning and crying and pain. So close to us in these days of global pandemic, 
Each day with the government briefings, we are moved as we hear of people dying. Many of us know people who have the virus. Healthcare workers in the country and around the world doing an extraordinary job. In our church family at Chalmers, there are a number of people who work in healthcare, some at the front line in the pandemic. And their experience, what they are seeing and having to do is very sobering and very moving. To all of you and to your colleagues across this country and around the world, we are praying for you every day. Yesterday morning as I was working, on this sermon at my desk, I received an email from someone in the church family working on the front line. I'd love to read you what they wrote, but for obvious reasons, I can't. But it was profoundly moving. So there is no room for any glibness or crassness in speaking the message of the risen Jesus. It is a message that is spoken in a world of tears, often through tears. But the most important thing is that it is true. The promises of Jesus about everlasting life in a world where there is no more death, crying and pain are true. But how do we know these promises are true? Because of one fact, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, a fact recorded for us in the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are three areas of evidence. Number one, as Scott has reminded us, the empty tomb. The tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women on the Sunday following the crucifixion. It is extremely difficult to object to the empty tomb on historical grounds. Those who deny it do so on the basis of theological or philosophical assumptions. The second major area of evidence is the resurrection appearances of Jesus. There is consistent and corroborated evidence of Jesus' disciples and larger groups of people meeting with the resurrected Jesus. Either they were lying or they really saw him. Why did ten of his disciples willingly die as martyrs for their belief in the resurrection if it were not true? And the third area of evidence is the existence of the Christian church. Strong proof of the resurrection of Jesus. The Christian church was established and grew on the message it proclaimed a message that had the resurrection of Jesus at its heart. That is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And can I encourage you, and perhaps this 
talk today is the start of that process for you. Can I encourage you to consider the evidence, to evaluate it for yourself? And the best way to do that is to read one of the gospel accounts like Mark's gospel. And as I said, there is information on the Chalmers website as to how you can do that. Now, what I'd like to do now is to look at Mark's account of the resurrection of Jesus, the section from Mark's gospel that was read a few minutes ago. Now, before we look at the account of his resurrection, what Mark does is he sets out the facts that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. That's in verses 42 to 47, if you are following in your Bibles. Verse 42, let me read it for us again. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, we're back here in Good Friday, the day Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus died on Friday, Good Friday, at the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. Mark tells us that a little earlier in his narrative. It is now, in Mark's account, the evening of the same day, the Friday. And this man, Joseph of Arimathea, takes upon himself the responsibility of burying Jesus before the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath was on the Saturday when such work would be forbidden. We know little about this man, Joseph of Arimathea, other than the biographical details recorded by the gospel writers. He was a prominent Jew. Mark describes him as a respected member of the council. The council is the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council that had played a significant role in condemning Jesus. If you know Mark's account, there is an account of that trial before the Sanhedrin. Very early in the hours of the Friday morning, the morning that Jesus died, the morning that we are reading, the, the day we are reading of here where Jesus is buried. And that man, Joseph of Arimathea, must have been there. And he saw the sham of the trial and this innocent man, Jesus, condemned. He is described as someone who is looking for the kingdom of God. A devout man who saw Jesus for who he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. Now, as a member of the ruling council, he may have had some sway with the Roman governor, Pilate. And so he asks Pilate for Jesus' body that it might be buried. That was risky. Notwithstanding his position and his status, it was risky. Mark notes that he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body. The risk was high, admitting to the Roman governor his loyalty to Jesus standing apart from the other religious leaders. Mark records nothing about Pilate's view of Joseph. What Pilate is concerned with 
And this is Mark's emphasis, is whether or not Jesus is in fact dead. The speed of Jesus' death surprised Pilate, verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. It was not uncommon for victims of crucifixion to live for 24 hours or more, eventually succumbing to suffocation as they no longer had the strength to support their bodies, enabling them to breathe. Jesus had died quickly, probably on account of the savagery of the flogging that he had received beforehand. Pilate needs to make sure that he is dead. And we need to be sure that he was dead. So what does Pilate do? He asks the centurion, the head of the execution squad, summoning the centurion. Pilate asked him if Jesus had already, already died. Just listen again to that. Pilate asked him, has this man, Jesus, already died? And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the corpse to Jesus. He gave the dead body to Joseph. Jesus is dead. There is no question there is no doubt. And Mark records these details because he wants us to be absolutely clear that Jesus was dead. You see, what is described in chapter 16 is not about resurrection. It is about resurrection from the dead. Jesus was dead. He was a corpse. And so having obtained permission from the governor, Pilate, Joseph took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in a linen cloth, a shroud, and placed it in what Mark describes as a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. Just like the picture that Scott used earlier, a garden tomb probably Joseph's own family burial place, either a natural cave or a chamber cut out of the limestone hillside, space enough to walk around inside, shelves or alcoves in the walls where the dead bodies would be laid. And normally the body would be anointed with perfume and spices to prepare for the burial. But there was no time because the Sabbath was approaching. All they had time to do was to get the body down from the cross and into the tomb on the Friday. The anointing of the body would have to wait until the day after the Sabbath, the first day of the week. And so Jesus is put in the tomb the end of that Good Friday, and a large stone is rolled across the entrance. Just notice the detail that Mark records in verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joses, saw where he was laid. These women saw where Jesus was laid. 
Not simply that they saw the garden tomb where Jesus was buried, but that they saw inside the tomb. They saw Jesus' body laid inside the tomb. Verse 47 marks the end of the day, the end of the day of preparation, the end of the Friday, the end of the first Good Friday, the end of a momentous day when Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. And now on to chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. As Mark moves from the fact of Jesus' crucifixion, death, and burial to the fact of his resurrection from the dead. Let's read again at the beginning of chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, it is now Sunday morning, the day after the Jewish Sabbath. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, think of them walking to the tomb, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Who will roll the stone away? It's just too big for us to move. That's just a normal conversation, a normal question, as these women hurry to the tomb to anoint Jesus body. Maybe there'll be somebody there who can help us. Who are these women? Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. Mary Magdalene was a woman whom Jesus had cured of demon possession. That's recorded in Luke's gospel. In all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, she is recorded as one of the first witnesses to the resurrection. Mary, the mother of James, and Joses is almost certainly Jesus' own mother. James and Joses are Jesus' brothers. Salome is the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. These are the women who come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. They are not nameless people in history. They are specific known people who were there. Others would have asked them at the time, were you there? What did you see? This is what I saw. It is the same group of women Mark records in verse 40 of chapter 15 as part of the group watching from a distance as he was crucified and died on the cross. Two of the group, Mary Magdalene and Jesus' mother, had gone to the tomb with Joseph of Arimathea on the Friday when Jesus was buried. And now the three women, the two Marys and Salome, are coming to anoint Jesus' body in accordance with Jewish custom. They arrive at the tomb. And Mark records verse 4, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb. Imagine these women walking into the tomb to anoint the body of one of their sons. 
they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were afraid. And he said to them, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And it's not hard for us to imagine the scene of all the drama in these events. Surely this is the summit of them all. Jesus who was crucified, dead and buried, is risen from the dead. His body is gone. The tomb is empty. Now, in Mark's account, in just this one account, Mark's gospel, here is the evidence. Firstly, there is the witness of Scripture itself. Three times, Mark records Jesus speaking about his death and his resurrection before he died. Let me read one of them. Jesus began to teach his disciples that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. That's exactly what happened. And then Jesus said, after three days, I will rise again. These predictions from the lips of Jesus himself make it absolutely clear that Jesus' death and resurrection is purposed by God in fulfillment of God's purpose. All the events of Easter, the Passover meal, the trials of Jesus, his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, his mocking on the way to the cross, his crucifixion at Golgotha, the place of the skull, his death, the words he spoke, his burial, and his resurrection, all of these events all through the prophecies of the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before, prophesied with a clarity that emphatically says to us the events of Easter were purposed and determined by the sovereign will of God to rescue humanity to forgive humanity's sins and to give humanity hope of resurrection and eternal life. The witness of Scripture is powerful, written over hundreds of years. The witness of the angel at Jesus' resurrection. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified he has risen. Three times in Mark's gospel, he records how a divine voice has broken into the events. At Jesus' baptism, the voice of the Father, you are my son, 
whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At his transfiguration on the mountain, again the voice of the Father, this is my Son, whom I love, listen to him. And now inside the tomb, inside the empty tomb, the voice of the angel of God, do not be afraid, fear not. Fear not, you are looking for Jesus. He is not here. He is risen. The witness of Scripture, the witness of the angel, and the witness of the women. This group of women played such a significant role. They are there at the cross witnessing his crucifixion and death. Two of the women were there on the Friday night with Joseph of Arimathea laying out the corpse in the empty tomb. And here they are inside the empty tomb, the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Now that is such a powerful thing and we've got to get our heads around this. That in the ancient world, you just would not have been able to use women as witnesses. The testimony of women would not count in the court of law. And so if the early church wanted to fabricate these accounts, they would not choose women as their principal witnesses. That's how it was wrongly in the ancient world. And that is such a powerful, powerful, powerful reason to trust these accounts as eyewitness testimonies of what actually happened. If this were in any way fabricated, these women would not have been the witnesses. And of course, emphatically, and back to where Scott was with both sides, the witness of the empty tomb. These women had seen the dead body of Jesus laid out in the tomb. And now he is no longer where he was laid. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. The solid evidence for the resurrection. The evidence is very strong. And if we had time, we could turn to the other Gospels that unpack it further or to the book of Acts for the accounts of the resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples, to the extent that Jesus says to one of his disciples, put your fingers in the nail marks on my hands. Jesus was crucified. Jesus died. He was buried. He was laid out in the tomb. And then he was raised from the dead. He is alive. Now what then, as we draw all this together, is the message or the significance of the resurrection. It happened. It is historically attested. But what is the significance? What are the implications? What does it mean? Let me just 
reiterate the three things that Scott said earlier. Number one, it guarantees the believer forgiveness of sins. That is because the resurrection vindicates all that Jesus' death on the cross achieved. Jesus died for our sins. He took our place. He was made sin for us. The wrath of God that is the just punishment for our sin was borne by him. And for the believer, their sin is forgiven, past, present, and future sin all forgiven. For the believer, the wrath of God, the eternal judgment of God that would have been their eternal destiny is extinguished, is, is spent. And so the believer is reconciled to God, brought back by Jesus into fellowship with God. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees the believer forgiveness of sins. Second, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees the believer everlasting life. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, all those, all those, whoever they are, whatever their background, who believe in Jesus will be raised to everlasting life in a new creation. Everlasting life in the glory of the new creation, rescued from everlasting life in the darkness of hell. And third, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees the believer life in the Spirit now. The Spirit of the risen Jesus indwells or lives within the believer. The Spirit is a person, and so the person of the risen Jesus lives within a believer, changing them to be like Jesus, giving them assurance, peace with God. Now, that peace in your life as a believer is often elusive. But it keeps coming back into our minds and our hearts that if we know Jesus, we are forgiven and safe and secure and we have assurance of salvation and we will live forever with him. Nothing can separate us from his love. And I pray for you now that if that peace is elusive, on this Easter day, the assurance of salvation will convict your mind and your heart. You are safe. You are immortal until God determines that your life will end. And you will be raised to live in eternity with Jesus. The resurrection gives you the spirit of the living Christ 
who holds on to you, who comforts you, who lifts you up when you are downcast, who gives you a voice to pray to God, who gives you a voice to speak of Jesus to those who do not know him, who gives you a voice to speak to your fellow believers truth in love. The significance of the resurrection of Jesus for the believer, who are believers, those who look to Jesus for forgiveness and to save them from God's eternal punishment, those who receive by faith the salvation Jesus offers them through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. That's who believers are. Are you one of them? Will you become a believer? This Easter day. Let me close with the words Mark uses to end his gospel. What a realistic ending it is. But go, tell his disciples and Peter what a gracious note that is. Tell Peter who denied me three times. Tell Peter that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That is a realistic reaction. That is how you and I would have reacted had we been there in that empty tomb on that first Easter day. That is the authentic reaction of eyewitness testimony. Mark, make sure you write down that we didn't get it all at first. We were afraid and we didn't know what to do. Mark's gospel is not the end of the story. It is the start of the church of Christ in the world. But the central message of that church, 2,000 years ago and today, the central message of the church of Christ, whether we are in buildings with people or on YouTube, is that Jesus died for our sins and was raised to give us life, an everlasting life. That is the message of hope for humanity. That is the message of Easter. That is the message for the world. Christ is risen. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for Jesus and the hope that he offers to us. Thank you for the factual records of his life, death, and resurrection like Mark's gospel. Help us to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, for resurrection to everlasting life, and a life lived now in the spirit of the risen Jesus. 
And if anyone is at that point now of trusting Jesus for the first time, can I lead you in this prayer? Join with me in the quiet of your home. Jesus, I look to you for my salvation. I understand that it's through your death that my sins are forgiven. I understand that you were raised from the dead and are alive today. I believe in your promise of forgiveness, resurrection to everlasting life, and life now in your spirit. Jesus, I accept you. I believe in you as my Savior and Lord. I give my life to you, conscious that you gave your life for me. Please help me now to follow you, to live as a Christian, and to tell others of what you have done for them. For Jesus' sake. Amen.